0: It's been really wonderful to get to know many of you over the course of, I guess it's I've been here five years now in the area, and right from the beginning it was a huge blessing to get to know Reed and Evangelical Church of Fairport. So thank you uh, for this invitation to fill your pulpit. I'm also very thrilled at the occasion that brings me here, and that is that you care enough for your pastor to give him... Uh, A sabbatical, lots of time off where he can rest and re-energize, and that speaks an awful lot about you guys as a church. So thanks for caring for him in that way. Um, I am here with my my family. Uh, Some of you have met my wife Jamie and my son Job, but we have a new addition since the last time we were here, and that's baby Jonathan, who's nine months old now. And uh, he was a real answer to a lot of years of prayer. So we're just thrilled to have him. And I look forward to introducing you to him afterwards. We're also here with our good friend Jenna Lehman. Jenna is a wonderful and godly young lady from our church, Grace Baptist, in Dansville. And she works really hard at our church doing lots of different things, teaching Sunday school. Um, She's our our main PowerPointer which is often a thankless job. So we thought we'd give Jenna a nice um, break, and she's traveling with us today. I also bring greetings from Grace Baptist Church. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but we uh, think very highly of you, and we consider you a a sister church, someone that is uh, very like-minded with us and all about the gospel. And so we are grateful for, for you and for your ministry. Let's just begin with a brief word of prayer, and we'll ask the Lord to bless our time together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence and we are so thankful for the, who you are and what you've done. Lord, you are a God who uh, is, is like none other. You are uh, high and holy and magnified and lifted up. You are exalted in the heavens. And even right now, there are just uh, legions of angels created to serve you who are singing your praises, and rightly so. Lord, this earth is, is a, a, a display of your glory and your power and your strength just ring out th- across this whole globe. And, and we're, we're grateful, Lord, that you have um, reached out to us, that you've drawn near to us as we've been praying and, and have showered mercy and blessing upon us. We think especially of the great mercy and blessing that comes to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ who you gave out of great love for us. Even in the midst of our sin, you gave us your Son, and he died in order to make us right with you. And so we come to you boldly, covered in the blood of Christ, clothed in his righteousness, and and we come boldly before your throne, and we ask for your continued blessing on our lives. We seek the blessing, Lord, of your face as uh, as we turn now to your word, and as we seek you through the pages of Scripture. We recognize these to be your words. This is your communication, your revelation of yourself to us. And so we just ask that you would humble us under your word, that we might hear and learn and understand and believe and then be changed. Lord, we want to walk away from this place of different people for having confronted you and your truth in your word. And so we ask for your spirit to just be poured out richly among us, Lord, to work truth into our hearts, and to cause us to become more and more conformed to the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose blessed name we pray. Amen. Well, this is uh, Thanksgiving week. I don't know if you realize that or not. Uh, it's very possible for, for you not to realize it's Thanksgiving, Because for some reason, our world, our culture is just squeezing out Thanksgiving. Uh, It's it's almost like they want to be rid of that in order to get on to the bigger stuff. And it's crazy because a lot of times we think there's a war on Christmas. uh, But really, if you ask me, there's a bigger war on Thanksgiving. Uh, Every year, it seems we're getting, it's getting squeezed out more and more. And it's all about the shopping afterwards. And now the shopping on Thanksgiving Day. And if you can believe this, my wife saw an advertisement this week that said, I forget what store it was, but said that Black Friday starts on Tuesday. <laughs> right? That's, that's a bit ridiculous. Um, but we're squeezing out, we're squeezing out Thanksgiving. Uh, there's no war on Christmas. You know, Starbucks, the big scandal isn't that Starbucks has a red cup. The biggest scandal is that Starbucks doesn't have an orange cup commemorating Thanksgiving. Um, and we shouldn't expect that, I guess, because a godless culture, a godless people, that's the first thing to go, is Thanksgiving. Uh, we, we read about this, don't we, in Romans chapter 1, uh, that God gives people over in their sin and their rebellion to all of the these great forms of sin uh, that we like to focus on, But we forget that their core problem, their root problem, is that they uh, did not glorify God as God and they didn't give thanks to him. Um, Godless people aren't thankful people because you also recognize, don't you, that you can't just be generally, abstractly thankful. If you want to say that you're thankful, you know, that's a phrase that has very specific prepositions and objects. You have to say... I'm thankful for something, I'm thankful to someone for something. And if that person isn't God, if a, if a person in their system of thinking doesn't recognize the God of the universe, who's the giver of every perfect gift, then there's no thanksgiving in their life at all. Okay. But we shouldn't look to the culture to take our cue, we shouldn't look to their calendar ...and their priorities in order to take our cue. We are to be a thankful people. We look to scripture for our our cue as to those things. And the Bible is uniformly clear that we are to be a people of thanksgiving. And, not just one day a year, but our whole lives are to be characterized by profound thankfulness to God... ...for all that he has given to us. Um, do you realize that this is something that we are going to be doing for eternity... I'm reminded of Psalm 79, verse 13, which says, We, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. And so if we're going to be doing this for the rest of eternity, well then I think it uh, really behooves us to get started early and to be thankful people in this life. And so uh, to that end, I want to just draw our attention to some thoughts about Thanksgiving, and uh, we're going to be using this passage that was read for us just a few minutes ago, Psalm chapter 65, the 65th Psalm. And I would just encourage you, if you haven't done so already, open up to that place in your Bible or on your smartphone or however you do it and keep that open because the things that I want to say to you today uh, are hopefully right from God's Word. You don't want to hear from me you want to hear from God, and so I want to just simply point out what God has said to us uh, in His Word. So, Psalm 65, you keep that open. And uh, let me just set it up by saying that at Thanksgiving time, it's customary for people to come up with a list of things that they're thankful to God for, to actually write down and be able to articulate and list the blessings of God, the, the the manifold blessings of God in your life. It's a great exercise. A, a previous generation uh, urged us to do this in song when they, when they sang, count your blessings. Name them one by one. You count your blessings so that you can see what the Lord has done. And the present generation has taken them up on that challenge. And uh, we've counted, and so we can sing, there are 10,000 reasons... Uh, for my soul, to, for, for us to bless the Lord. There's 10,000 reasons why we can be thankful to the Lord and bless his holy name. Uh, there, it, it's, it's good to number these things. and to th- It's never good to just abstractly think, yes, I'm thankful. Because ultimately, that's meaningless. If you want to be a truly thankful person, then you've got to get into the specifics. You've got to think specifically, what has God done in your life. And so it's customary. Maybe you have this as a family tradition around Thanksgiving time to maybe get alone and write down a list of things that you're thankful for, that you can share around the table. And uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's easy to do the first uh, three or five. Uh, it's a long way to, to 10,000. And so you, you want some help, you maybe look over at your sister's list and say, oh yeah, 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 I'm thankful for that too. Well, we get a little bit of help if we want to make a, Christmas, uh, a Thanksgiving list uh, this year. See, there I go. I'm already thinking Christmas. Got to think Thanksgiving. If you want to make a list of things that you're thankful for and you need a little bit of help, we turn here to Psalm 65, and what we have is David, King David's Thanksgiving list. A list of three things that he is thankful for. And uh, that's what I want to do for the rest of the time that we have, is to just kind of copy off of his list, see what he's thankful for, and, uh, and maybe we'll discover that we ought to be thankful for these things too. My theory is that David, King David, must have been a Baptist, because this list has, this list has uh, three items, three points, and they all happen to start with the same letter. Right? So he must have been a Baptist uh, preacher. We'll just follow his lead and I want to show you three things. If you're taking notes, these are uh, the main headings that you can jot down and we'll just fill in underneath them. First of all, we want to see that we ought to thank the Lord for his salvation. Thank the Lord for salvation. Secondly, thank the Lord for his strength and then thank the Lord for his sustenance. For his salvation for his strength, and for his sustenance. Let's look at this first one. Thank the Lord for his salvation. This is the big one. This is one I'm sure that, uh, that you, if you're a child of God, are most interested in. Is the fact that we have a God who saves. So let me just start this by giving just a little tip for Bible study. If you want to be a person that studies your Bible more fruitfully and successfully, then one of the easiest and best things that you can do is to just go to the text and ask simple questions of it. You know, the simple reporter questions, the who, what, when, where, how, why, I think I got them all, but just very simple questions that you go to the text and ask the text and let the Bible kind of answer back to those questions. And so here's, two, here's a couple of questions that we can ask. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 65, and you can simply ask this. What two things are given to God here? What two things are given to God? And the simple answer that we get in return is, first, praise, and second, vows. Okay? Praise and vows. Let's just take these in turn. What is praise? It's uh, thanksgiving and adoration and honor and... And, um, you know, just being in awe of God and, and giving words to that, that sense of, of uh, honor and reverence that we have for him. This is praising God. This is what it means to praise. And I think you probably have a good idea of what's, uh, what's in mind when the psalmist says that we are to praise and that praise is given to God. But what about the second one, vows? That's a little bit weird. Have you ever given to God a vow I think this is mostly common in the Old Testament times. Uh, People would, out of a profound love and gratitude to God, they would make vows to God. That is, that they would promise to do certain things, or be certain things, for a length of time, a specific length of time, maybe for their lifetime. So, for example, you think of Hannah, who in her barrenness made a vow to God that if God would bless her with a child that she would dedicate that child to the Lord's service. And God did and so she fulfilled her vow and she gave her boy Samuel uh, into the service of the Lord. Uh, you may also be familiar with the Nazarite vow. This is what um, individuals would make or parents would make. Um, most famously the example of Samson, right? This is a, this is a vow to, uh, in, in devotion to God and in service to God, it was a vow to um, not, not drink wine, to abstain from any kind of alcohol, uh, to not cut your hair, um, don't come into contact with a carcass. So if you made a Nazarite vow, you couldn't go hunting on opening day and kill something and clean it. That, w- that goes against that vow. Okay? And so uh, that could have been for just a period of time or for your whole life. Ideally, with Samson, it would have been for his whole life, but, but he was a, a vow breaker. Now, in the New Testament times, you're wondering, how does this apply? I think there is still a place for vows, solemn promises that you make before the Lord out of gratitude for what he's done, out of the way that he's blessed you, and um, But more so, I think, what the New Testament calls us to do, in light of God's mercy and the way that he's blessed us, is to basically vow our whole lives, to to offer our bodies as living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable worship. And that's not just a one-time deal or even a period of time, but this is a daily, ongoing vow and uh, offering that we make to God. And all of this, of course, is response to uh, who God is and what he's done. Now, another question you can ask of this text is, why? The why question. Why are praise and vows uh, due to the Lord? Why are they given to him? And that's the answer, really. It says that it's due him. Verse 1, some translations say that praise awaits you. Your translation may say that praise is due you. And there's your answer. We, do, we give these things, praise and vows to God, because he, he deserves them. He, he's worthy of them. It's coming to him. Okay? Uh, he, he, that's the end of the story, really. That, that could be the, the period, end of story, that's it. We give these things because God is do these things, our praise and our vows. As creatures, the only right response in light of who God is and what He has done, is to bow our knee in worship, and in adoration. It should be almost instinctive for us. Praises do Him. That's what you do. And woe to us if we do not worship. But answer, that that answer is maybe not so satisfying to you. Okay, it's it's that's the kind of answer that kids often get from their parents. You know, kids. Are famous for asking the why question of parents. And the parent will sometimes respond, maybe a lot of times respond, something along these lines. Because I'm your parent, that's why. Right? <laughs> Job's laughing knowingly. He's heard that a time or two. I, I'm the parent, that's why. And that's the trump card that we parents like to just slam down on the table. All right? We're do it. We, we, you owe that to us. So you're our child, we're the parent. You, you obey, you, you do what you're supposed to, end of story. But that's never satisfying if you're a kid. And so it's, in the same way, it's not really satisfying to us to say God deserves it. He's worthy of it, even though that is perfectly right. Thankfully, the Psalm continues. In particular, it continues by giving us reasons more satisfying reasons for for the kids like for kids like us to to know why praise and vows are due to the Lord. And I think that's great because it satisfies that inner child in us that wants some real substantive answers for for the why. Why is praise due to him? Now the clear answer that our text gives us in verses 3 and 4 is that the Lord is worthy of praise and thanksgiving and adoration and vows and all of the rest because he is a God who saves, do you see that from the text, verse three and four? He is a God who saves. Now let's let's just think about this a little bit. Okay. Now in co- in the context of this psalm, it's most likely that the Lord has heard the cry of David and the Israelites and has given them victory in a battle. You know they're probably fighting. Uh, they've they've been. Uh, ensconced in a a battle with uh, all kinds of enemies and by all appearances it looks like the enemies were going to get the best of them and defeat them and beat them and David is marking by writing this psalm he's marking the fact that when the Israelites cried out to God when David cried out to God for deliverance, likely as I say, from their oppressors that God heard them he heard them, that's that's what's acknowledged there in verse 2. God is the one who hears prayer. The Lord had graciously heard their cry and had delivered them out of their troubles. But as wonderful as that salvation is, small-ass salvation, you know, being delivered out of a, a problem, maybe it's a battle. For them, it was a, a battle against foreign enemies. And as good as those small s kinds of deliverances are, There's one greater deliverance, there's a greater salvation that is first and foremost on King David's mind. There's something that's more oppressing to David than uh, just some foreign king, some foreign nation and his army. There's there's something way more oppressive and debilitating and um, possibly defeating that we need to be saved from. Look at this. Verse three. It says, When iniquities prevail against me, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. What is the what's the battle? What's the enemy that David has first and foremost in his mind that he needs salvation from? It's his own sin. It's his own sin. He there's this reality called sin that he experiences daily and he finds it to be oppressive. He says, iniquities prevail against me. You know, that word prevail is a, uh, originally it's a wrestling term. You know, it's, it's it's like that your sin has has basically given you a pile driver into the mat, and then he, the sin's climbed up onto the top rope, and he's given you the flying elbow, and just smoked you, and now sin's on top of you, and you're being counted down. One, two, three. You're getting ready to be totally defeated by your sin. And I wonder if you've experienced that. I wonder if you could give testimony to this, that prior to being saved, that you had this overwhelming... You were drowning in your sin. And it was totally pinning you to the mat. This is David's experience. His iniquities have prevailed over us and he's incapacitated we're incapacitated and and there's no summoning the strength to wriggle out of it you know when i used to watch wrestling when i was a kid job's age and it was amazing because they they would do all those they would pile drive you and camel clutch you and flying elbow and they'd have the guy pinned and it'd get down to two and almost three but then he'd like ride this body somehow and like flip the guy that was pinning him. Uh, it was very unbelievable. Uh, that <laughs> literally, literally it was unbelievable. Uh, but that is not possible, you understand, with our sin problem, right? Sin has so incapacitated us. This is such a root problem in our lives that we can't just like wiggle our bodies and do like a wave with our bellies and pop, pop it off of us. No, we're down for the count when it comes to sin, and there's nothing that we can do. There's no strength in us that can make us prevail over our own sin. And I say that because maybe there's some of you in that um, experience right now. You haven't turned to the Lord for salvation because you think when it comes to your sin, oh, I got this, I got this. I know this really nifty move where I can just reverse on sin, and it's no big deal. You need to understand the extent of your problems like King David did. His iniquities, his trespasses prevailed over him. And such is uh, the case with every human being that has walked this cursed world except for for one. Sin prevails. Now, what is the good... That's some bad news. What's the good news here? Okay, if you're saved today... What has happened to you? Again, we've seen that it's nothing that you can do uh, for yourself, in and of yourself. The beauty of the gospel is that God himself initiates to save us in the midst of this sin problem. Okay? So we read things like this all over the scripture. We read things like this. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. We read, while we were yet sinners, while we were still shaking our fist, Christ died for us. Do You see, the the, the uniform testimony of Scripture is that it's God himself that initiates to save us when our sins are prevailing against us. It's nothing that we do. It's nothing that we even cry out for. But it's something that God is pleased to um, uh, initiate for his own glory. Okay, look at this at the end of verse 3. After reflecting on the extent of his sin, he exclaims this, You, God, you atone for our transgressions. Isn't that amazing? Remember, God is, God is the one who is justly angry at us because of our sin. He is the holy God and righteous God who is offended just by his character. His holy character demands that he is offended and can't even look upon our sin. He must judge us. He must, he must pour out his wrath on us if we are, are, are sinful. It, it, must, it must be that way. The, the, the scales of justice, the moral universe, God's universe d- demands that. It's God that's angry at us because of our sin, but we're we're reading here that it's god who undertakes initiates to atone for our sins that's amazing to me and and that's why you read of some for example in romans chapter 3 verse 23 26 that it is god who is both just and the justifier of those who have faith in christ jesus okay so he's like the he's the ref that's counting us down sin prevailing over us but he, he's, the, he, he's the one that undertakes to save us from our sin problem. That's, that's amazing to me. Now, uh, hot on the he- heels of Thanksgiving Day is Christmas Day. And I think that's appropriate because it gives us an opportunity to, the, to focus on the fact that this is, this is the time of year that we like to commemorate the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, the fact that Jesus Christ, his his only son, came into the world, became took on flesh, was incarnate. He con- was conceived in a virgin's womb, as we have uh, recited together. That he lived a sinless life, that he died a, a perfect death, a substitute for sinners, to offer atonement for for sinners like you and us, you and you and me. To purchase our redemption, to uh, to atone for us, to pay the ransom and whatever biblical image that you want to use, this is what Christ has been sent by God to do for us. Brothers and sisters, this is this is something that we need to be thankful for not not just on November 26th or December 25th, but every day of the year every hour of every day of the year, we need to be thankful to the Lord for the incredible salvation that he has worked in us and for us because of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for such a great salvation. And then let me say another word to those of you who may be here today as an unbeliever. Maybe you are sensing, maybe you're not like I described a few minutes ago, thinking that you can do it all on your own. Maybe you are feeling and sensing the just the prevailing heaviness of your sin against you. If you feel like you're drowning in, in your sin, what do you need to do? What does what an MMA guy that feels like he's just being annihilated do? What does he do? He, he taps out if he's smart. He, he cries uncle. He, he says, I'm done. I come to the end of myself. And friend, if you're in that condition today you need to do the same thing. You need to come to the end of yourself, tap out, you need, to, you need to repent of your sins and believe in Christ who paid the penalty for sinners and for sin. This is the great salvation that is offered in Christ. And you would be a wise person today if you would uh, receive that salvation by faith. It's offered freely to you. To every man and woman and boy and girl. And so, the greatest thing that you can do on Thanksgiving is to embrace the salvation that God himself initiates and provides. Well, let's look secondly at uh, the second thing that we want to thank the Lord for, that David does, and I think he's a good model for us. Thank the Lord for his strength. Look at verse 5. Because in verse 5, the psalmist... um, he, he moves on from salvation, although we'll want to just recognize that you can't move on from salvation. All of the other blessings that we get from God are based on the fact that he is a God who saves. Uh, but look at, it, really, I think what verses 5 to 8 are urging us to do is to thank the Lord for his great strength. And I want to just say a, a couple of things about this. It seems like the psalmist is thinking again about the, the situation uh, in which, you know, when he and Israel cried out to the Lord in prayer from, for deliverance from their enemies, that God heard them, that he answered that prayer. Okay? And, and furthermore, it seems that God answered them in such a way as was just totally mind-blowing. In fact, that he, he must have worked a deliverance that was so incredible that it left people's mouths open, okay? It was such a salvation that it demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is a strong God who acts uh, on behalf of his people. And so verse 5 says, you answer us, you don't just answer us, but you answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior. So, So strong is God, and so awesome are his deeds that even the ends of the earth have have heard the news of how God has worked such a great salvation for His people? Okay, this is the kind of salvation, because of the kind of strength that it is that just goes viral, as we would say in our own day. And and this is the I believe how the Lord has designed it. Uh, as I prayed earlier, uh, this this world is a stage. It, it, it's a, it's a man it's a manifestation of God's great character and His great work, and so it's no wonder that this would go to the ends of the of the world. Often we read of this, don't we, in Scripture of battles that God wins for His people through miraculous means, not through any anything with a human explanation, but something that only has a divine explanation. You read, for example, of. Uh, a city whose walls fall down simply because God has his people march around them and then at the end of it blast a trumpet and walls fall and people are defeated friends that i don't you can't give any kind of you know explanation from physics or whatever you understand what i'm saying that is a work of god That's the only explanation for it, and God designed it that way so that the Israelites couldn't boast in their great strength, so that they would be forced to give God glory for his strength and for the fact that he used his strength to um, gain such a great victory. God intentionally sets sets this up this way. And just a side note, I think what we have here by example is encouragement to pray along these same lines, right? We, we read that the Israelites prayed and God answered them with great deeds. Well, I think it's wise for us to pray this way. You know, we're, we, we often pray for a person's healing. And, and it's right to do that. It's good to do that. But I think, it's, I think we ought to appeal to God in our prayer with the language of Scripture, and with the things that we know uh, God is keen to do for his own namesake. So I think we should pray, not just God, heal Susie uh, or, or Joe or whoever of cancer, but Lord, heal Susie and Joe of this cancer in such a way that, that baffles the, the medical community. Lord, do this in a way that that makes it absolutely clear uh, that even the hardest of heart can see that this is your work, that that this healing comes as a result of your strength and your power and your grace and your mercy, that there's no human explanation for it at all. And do it, God, for the glory of your name. Do it so that your name and your fame will spread to the ends of the earth. I I think that's a, a biblical way to pray. And maybe you're here today, yourself feeling incredibly weak. You know, I don't, I don't know all of you. I know some of you, and and um, I, I don't know your situations. Maybe you are, maybe you do have that cancer diagnosis. Maybe you are just feeling um, weak from uh, the the weight of this world. Maybe you're, maybe you're a young person. And you feel weak because you don't have the resources and the talents and everything else that you think need, you need to have in order to make an impact on the world. There's lots of ways that you can, that we can feel weak. And I want to say to you today that if you're a person in here that feels weak, that's actually a good place to be. That's not a bad place to be. It's good to feel weak. It's good to have a sense of your own weakness, the weaknesses of your flesh, for example. If you're in here today and and your weakness is that you can sing with the hymn writer, man, I am prone to wander. And Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. If that's your weakness here today, it's good that that you have that sense of your own weakness. And why is that? Why would I say that? Well, I know a guy who had a significant weakness. He was uh, in, incredibly weak in this particular way. I, he had this thing called, uh, that he described as a thorn in the flesh. I don't know exactly what it was, but it really messed him up for a long time. And three times he pleaded, he prayed pleading with the Lord to remove it from him, and God didn't. And God, further, furthermore, God explained to this guy, his name is Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so this guy Paul says, well, then if that's the case, if, if you, God, are going to um, be shown to have perfect power, and if your strength is going to be put on display through my weakness, well, this guy Paul says, I'm going to boast all the more in my weakness. I'm going to be even... If, if you can believe that this is possible, I'm going to be thankful for my weakness, my particular weakness, whatever it might be, so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. And so that God would get all kinds of glory for the strength that he works in me and through me. Just how strong is God? How strong is God? Look at verse 6. It, it tells us that he's the one that planted the mountains. Now, it's hard to think of something more stable and massive and enduring and immovable than the mountains, except the one who must have placed them there. The God who created all of these things is greater and stronger than any of these things. Uh, the, the mountains are imposing to us, but God is so strong that he just plants them down and anchors them down in his earth. This is our God. This is how strong he is. And in the ancient mindset, something that they were really kind of freaked out about was the water, the sea. They didn't like the sea because it was, it was a picture of something that was very strong and imposing. It was something that was chaotic and just needed to be tamed, but couldn't be tamed by mere men. How strong is God? He is a God who can just tame that nasty, chaotic sea. And we know this, don't we? Because we see this in the ministry of God incarnate, his son Jesus Christ. That time when he and his disciples were in the boat and it was a wicked storm and Jesus was sleeping. No big deal to him. He was sleeping. And, this, and it's interesting to note how that passage, that, that account in the New Testament, um, speaks of the reaction of the disciples. Remember, these were seasoned fishermen. They weren't afraid of the water. Everyone else was, but they were—they were out on the water all the time. But these change, these guys in this storm, they feared a great fear. This storm was so bad that it made even the disciples uh, really scared. And that is exactly the right response that we ought to have, right? They they feared. You know what, what was bigger than their fear of the storm, though? It was their fear when Jesus calmly woke up from his sleep after they woke him up, and he rebuked the wind and the waves. He said, peace, be still, and instantly there was calm. It was quiet. This is a strong God. This is a strong Savior. And and as I was saying, uh, the text it says that they feared the storm, but they feared something even greater, and that is the, the Christ, the one who is able to calm such a sea. And this is by design as well. This is the right response. When we consider the great power and strength of our God, we ought to be people who fear and stand in awe and reverence. What kind of a God is this? Who even the wind and the waves obey? We fear God, and we rightly honor him and worship him because of his strength. And you know what the other right response to his strength is? Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Because if this God is this strong, and if this God is our God, then it must mean that this God works his strength for our benefit. And if we have this God working for us, As scripture will say, if this God is for us, who can be against us? What can be against us? What could we possibly fear as being strong when we have a God who is unsurpassingly strong? If God is for us, who can be against us? Brothers and sisters, let's thank the Lord for his strength. Not just his salvation, but his strength. And not just his his strength but also, finally, thirdly, his sustenance. Now, I was uh, paid a huge compliment a couple of years ago. Uh, it's, it's not often that I get a compliment. That's the last one. It was a couple of years ago. So, it, you know, it really kind of, it still makes an impression on me. My son Job was seven at the time, and uh, we had just watched an animated movie called The Incredibles. Have, have you kids seen that movie? Have some, maybe some of you grown up seen that one too? The Incredibles? If you haven't, it's about a family of superheroes. Okay, so the mom is like super stretchy, I think she is. And the boy can run super fast. The girl, the teenage girl, she's full of angst, of course, but she can disappear. Uh, the father is super strong. Right? And you know, this guy, um, he can Mr. Incredible, he can pick up a tr- train and just twirl it around and throw it really, really far. So he, that's his superpower. And a few days after we watched that, Job and his mom were talking together about uh, the, the Incredibles. And over the course of the conversation, Jamie was sensing that Job, he was seven, he was talking like it was real like he thought that it was that this was like a, a a biography of this family right and and so Jamie sensing this he he's much more mature now he would never think that now but at the time it, he was talking like it was real and so Jamie had to say oh no oh no Joby that that was just that was just fiction you know that that was just an animated film no nobody is that strong and Job said yeah daddy is Referring to me, so you know that 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 felt pretty good. You can you can understand why uh, why I've held on to that for the last couple of years. He's also not under the impression of that anymore. Uh, under the illusion of that, uh, he's had a real sense of reality since then. But I think he got that impression that I'm strong because we roughhouse a lot. Okay, um, we 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 like to to wrestle. right? I like to reenact all those moves that I learned in the 1980s watching WWF. Okay, so I chase them and I tackle them and, and, uh, you know, really kind of rough with them. I got to be careful what I say because our baby um, rolled off the bed a couple of weeks ago and broke his femur, and so uh, the hospital automatically called child protective services on us so i guess i got to watch what i say but i like to i like to mess up my kids you know <laughs> i like to i got boys i want to be rough with them uh so that's probably where where jo- job got the idea that i was strong and then i there's this thing that i used to do with job um cuz he's used to wrestling with me and and so Every once in a while I would just run up to him all aggressive-like, like I was going to grab him and, and go into our routine. But then at the last second, I'd pull the old switcheroo and I'd pick him up in my arms and just kiss him and cuddle him as gentle as I knew how to do. It would totally throw him for a loop because he thought he was going to get a beating, right? But no, he was, He again, we, could, we do not put this online, please. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But that's kind of what's happening, I think, in this text. After focusing on God's strength, the kind of strength that can defeat armies and plant mountains and calm seas, you're, you're blown away. You stand in fear of this God. You're scared to death of him in the right and holy way because he's so strong and because he's to be feared. And so we rightly fear... But then what happens in verse 9, we read that he visits the earth. This strong God comes up all aggressive, but he, he visits the earth. And and he can visit, yes, in judgment, and often you read this that in scripture, but what's on the psalmist's mind here in verse 9 is that he visits the earth to be gentle with it and to care for it and to uh, to, to sustain it. It's a really intimate we talk we talk we make this distinction in theology of god god being transcendent he's holy he's righteous he's just he's strong and mighty and powerful but he's also imminent he tr- he condescends to to um, care for his creatures and to cuddle them if you want to talk uh, in those terms and this is what he does this god who's so strong is pleased to visit the earth, he's, he's gentle with it. He cares for the land. He waters it. He enriches it. And all of this is for the benefit of we, his creatures. And so we're invited to thank the Lord for his sustenance. There's a lot of talk about in these verses about water and rain. Did you notice that here verses 9 and following? It's hard for us modern Amer- Americans to get our head around this how rain can be spoken of in such positive terms. You know, I think for most of us, rain is a downer. It like it wrecks our plans, it cramps our style, it dampens our spirits a lot. And so a, a perfect day for us is sunny. And it would be wonderful if it was sunny every day of the year, right? Well, not if you're uh, a farmer. Not if you live in an, an agrarian culture where your uh, livelihood was dependent on this earth being watered. And I can kind of, can kind of see that, even though I wasn't a, a farmer. I did work for a time for the Zoller Pump Company in Louisville, Kentucky. And we manu- manufactured sump pumps and sewage pumps and all kinds of pumps. But Zoller was famous for its sump pump. And that is, uh, it goes in your basement. I don't know if you have this in the city. Some of you might have sump pumps in your basement that pump out the groundwater when it rains and water infiltrates your basement and uh, the underdrain there, this sump pump pumps it out far away. Okay, so when we looked at the weather report and saw in the forecast that there was gonna be torrential downpours and possibly flooding, we were like, all right, cha-ching, right? Because we knew that then, that's when the sump pumps would just fly off the shelves. And so we referred to rain as liquid assets. (laughs) And I think if you're a farmer, uh, you kind of have that same idea. And so you need to read this as a farmer, as a sump pump manufacturer, and see that rain is positive. It's a sign of God's blessing and favor, and it's God's way of sustaining his, His people. Okay, He sends rain to water the earth. And, and the result of this is that there's an abundant harvest. Is God stingy with his rain? Here Again, more questions that you could ask. No, he's not stingy at all. Verse 9 tells us that his streams, his storehouses, are full of water. And that he doesn't just sprinkle, but he just drenches the land with it. And the result of such lavish provision of the things necessary to grow crops is Abundant crops and a massive harvest. Look at verse 11. This is described, this bumper crop is described in this way. It says, Your carts overflow with abundance. And literally, that's a phrase that you could translate, Your wagon tracks uh, are dripping with fatness. That doesn't really help you too much, but the wagon tracks are just overflowing with goodness. And, and get the picture in in your head you're, you're familiar with the cornucopia right this is the traditional symbol of Thanksgiving you got to look far for it these days you got to look past all the Christmas trees and wreaths and stuff and maybe someone's got a cornucopia set up but it's it's a, it's sometimes called a horn of plenty because you can see it's set up where uh, the produ- the produce here is just like overflowing you've got wheat coming out of it and is that cabbage or lettuce or something and grapes i don't i don't know my produce very well and you've got corn and it's just that that, that horn there can't contain it it's just falling out of the place uh, all, out of everywhere and the same thing is true uh, a, a better image a bigger image is the overloaded wagon So suppose you're a farmer and you're reaping your harvest now after God has abundantly provided for you and and you're putting all of the stuff on your cart and your horses or oxen are are, uh, pulling it back to the barn. The idea here is that that cart is so overflowing that stuff is just falling off the cart. The cart can't contain it. It's falling off the cart and is filling up the deep grooves left by that cart, the wheels of that cart, because the cart's so heavy that it's just plowing into the ground, and now those, those tracks are being filled up with plenty. Do you, do you get the picture in your mind? This is, this is God blessing us overwhelmingly such that our carts overflow. And if you don't live in an agrarian society, if you can't think about sump pumps or whatever, I'll, I'll just give you another clue to look for. If you want to see, from your experience, if, if God is doing this for you, well, I, I would just ask you to, to look carefully on Thursday when you have your family over for lunch or, or your friends or maybe maybe you've got a house full coming over on Thursday and maybe you have to pull out some another table from storage, set up another table because there's so much food and because you have so much family and friends that you need you need to stage this and station it all over the place. So you pull out an extra table. And I want to just encourage you at the end of when you're cleaning up, to go back and look at the big circular divots that those table legs made in your carpet. Okay? You'll get the same kind of uh, impression that the psalmist wants to get us to get. And that's going to be a sign that that table was so laden with food, which represents the the grace and the blessing of God, that it made huge, deep dents in your carpet. And the only thing deeper than those dents in your carpet are going to be the ones made by the chair legs of your guests. okay? Because they're so uh, overflowing, and they've enjoyed that uh, food so much. This is all a sign. And there's signs everywhere, from divots in the carpet to you name it. You just look around your life, and what you'll find is that there's, there's traces and markings of the blessing of God all over your life. And not just little blessings. Yes, God blesses in little ways. But I think we could testify to the fact that God's blessing to us has been abundant it's been of the type, of the variety that is just overflowing. There's there's way more to it than we could ever enjoy or ever even handle. And we are to praise God and thank God because He sustains us and not with, with just the bare minimum, but He sustains us abundantly. Now, in closing here, I, I want to just, I want to point you to the fact that God has blessed us this way, but I'm I'm conscious that maybe some of you are, are doubting this today. Maybe you're in a situation where you've lost your job or uh, you don't have money coming in. It seems like your needs aren't being met. right? And you're, you're worried. Maybe you're becoming bitter against God. Maybe you believe that he ought to be uh, providing more for you. I want to I just remind you, you do not have a God. If you believe in the God of the Bible, you do not have a God who is unwilling or unable to meet every single one of your needs. And if you do look close enough, you will see that God has provided every one of your needs. In fact, the, the, even the mere fact that you're here today, still living, still being fed and provided for, is a testimony. You're here today with a, a family of God who loves you and cares for you. All of these are signs that God has indeed, in fact, abundantly, uh, abundantly blessed you. And if you're worried that God may not continue to do this in the future, and maybe He doesn't like doing this for you, uh, He begrudges you. If you're if you're tempted to think in your sin that those are options. I want to just remind you of a a powerful way that my friend Paul argues in Romans about that. Romans, I, I love this verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. It's a powerful argument. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you understand that? It's, a, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If God's already given us the the hugest, most costly blessing possible, namely his own son to die for us, to make us right with him, if he's given that, it's nothing for God. It's it's a piece of cake for God to meet every single one of your needs. Whether you're a student or uh, or a, a family man who's looking for a a better job. God. That's nothing. That's nothing for God. God's given you his son. And if he's given us his son, how much more with Christ? Well, God just graciously, he's pleased, he loves to give us all things. And so friends, we're called to thank the Lord for his sustenance. We're to praise him and honor him and give him adoration for these things. Because if you don't, the rocks will cry out. They're, they're going to join, as we look at the last few verses here, they're going to join with the dusk and the dawn and the grasslands and the meadows and the valleys and the hills, which verse uh, 8, 12, and 13 tell us all of these are shouting for joy because they are living under the care and the rule of such a God. If we don't praise them, the, all of these things are going to cry out. They even are crying out right now. God providentially sustains his creation, and us with abundant, overflowing sustenance. Friends, we've got a lot to be thankful for. And I don't, I don't know if you can come up with 10,000 reasons, but you can certainly come up with a good list, if you're inclined to, of the very specific ways that God has blessed you over the course of this last year, over the course of your life. And it seems to me that we would be in a, in a good place if we could just, our top three could be right along with King David's, and that is that we ought to thank the Lord for His great salvation. We ought to also thank the Lord for His great strength, and we ought to finally thank the Lord for His sustenance, that He sustains us every minute of every hour of every day. Amen. Well, God bless you this Thanksgiving, and uh, bless your church as you continue to serve Him and and uh, declare his name to the ends of the earth. Uh, Thank you very much for inviting me, and I hope to see you again soon. Let's just bow in a word of prayer as the team comes to lead us in a closing song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to join with all of creation in singing your praises and your glories. We can testify, Lord, that we are an incredibly blessed people. You've met our needs, and not just minimally, but in an overwhelming way. And Lord, we are mindful of the fact that you have met our greatest need. That is our need to be saved and put in a right relationship with you. And you've done that in not just a minimal way, but you've done that in a massive way. You've given your own son to die for us. And then you raised him powerfully from from the grave to show forth your incredible strength. What a God you are and worthy to be praised. And I ask that all of us, to a person today, would be found in a place where we are uh, desiring to praise you and vow to you by offering daily our lives as living sacrifices uh, in in gratefulness to to such a God as you are. And so we ask that you would receive our praise, that you would receive our lives. All that we are, are and all that we have, we lay down in order that you would be magnified in this world and in heaven and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name amen stand if you would praise god from whom all Here.